at 2 Peter, not 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, as we're going to hopefully, prayerfully, uh, Lord willing, knock out another book of the Bible. Uh, we're going to be almost through the New Testament, first time for Calvary Chapel, South Pittsburgh, as we're concurrently doing 2 Peter, and we're also doing Revelation on Wednesday night. That list leaves us the first, second, and third John books, and we'll have been through uh, all of the New Testament. What will we do again? Go back to the beginning. And that's in the sermon today, so I thought that'd be, that would garner a better uh, response, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Maybe after the sermon, maybe after the sermon. <laughs> No, I'm kidding around. But uh, let's do this. Um, uh, let's just talk about where we've been. We're at the book of Peter, uh, who, oh man, do I resonate with Peter. Just, you know, foot in mouth disease, right? I mean, that's what this guy has as he's growing to know who the Lord is. He's traveling with him. He's coming out of the fishing business. He's, uh, you know... Uh, Jesus even had to one time, as Jesus was talking about his death and resurrection, said, you know, I know you've been traveling with me. Jesus didn't say that, but he said, get behind me, Satan. I mean, he had to say some tough things to uh, Peter. Peter, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, was part of that inner circle of those three apostles who would go with the Lord on some intimate settings, including the Mount of Transfiguration, where, you know, I mean... uh, you ever had that uh, silent pause in the conversation and you find it or you, you take it upon yourself to fill the silence with something and it just doesn't come out right. You just say something and you're like, oh, why, why did I say that? And that's what happened to Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration. Oh, there's Elijah, Moses, Jesus. Okay, let's make three booths for all of you three. In other words, let's put you on equal footing. And he wasn't getting it and yet those things uh, stayed with him because he writes of the glory and the power of Jesus in his writings. And here uh, we have the first and second epistle to Peter, and now we're in the second epistle, which speaks, uh, or which is written as he knows he's about ready to die. Think about that one. This is the writing he writes. This is the letter he writes as he knows he's about ready to die under intense persecution. So on one hand, you see, these letters are written to encourage the church after he goes and to encourage the church as they're persecuted because he knows the persecution's coming. The persecution's coming from, the, uh, from Rome, of which uh, these letters aren't directed, but they're directed out to the provinces that Rome uh, <coughs> uh, rules over. And so he believes and thinks, and we know from extra-biblical history, that the persecution did follow. Uh, This book, written in the 65, 66, 67 A.D., uh, uh, Peter here would soon go on uh, to die a martyr's death. You know the story, extra-biblical, that he would die upside-down crucified. They tried to crucify him upside or right-side up. He said, no, not like my Lord. So he was crucified upside-down, and Jesus... You know, in the, when he restores him uh, in the last chapter of John, actually predicts his death and tells him about it. Remember that? Jesus also tells him that his purpose would be to feed my sheep and to tend his sheep, tend Jesus' sheep, which means Peter had a shepherd's heart. And here you see the shepherd's heart. 
I, I, as you read through this, you get this real sense of this tender warrior. <laughs> I mean, he's a warrior for Christ, but he's tender. He, he cares about his people. And uh, last time, you know, we uh, saw that uh, he, uh, as he's leaving this earth, wants to make sure you and I and we know, he wanted his church to know and he wants us to know what false teachers and prophets look like. And he went through it with uh, amazing accuracy of what even occurs today. If you believe somebody's into some false teaching, well, go to Second Peter and the book of Jude and examine, examine what this is about. And one of the things that false teachers always like to do, they always like to pick off people who are weak in the faith. That's what they're looking for. They're aiming. They actually come into the churches and swipe people away. They divide churches. They divide, uh, and they, uh, uh, they're doing it, and we'll see it again today, running after their own lusts. And that doesn't have to mean be lusts for a person sexually or romantically. It can mean lust for people to believe what they believe and to give and to grow their kingdom. And we talked about that, and, and he was or is through his writings, really concerned about destructive doctrines. So beware. There are destructive doctrines today in the church, in the church. And you and I and we need to be aware of that. Now, he goes on and he uh, talks to us uh, about hope for the church. I think when we read this, you might say, hope for the church? Really? Hope? Hmm. Is this hopeful? Well, let's see. So let's read down to verse 9. We're going to finish the whole thing, but let's go through verse 9, and then we'll um, keep going and keep moving uh, as we uh, read. So the word of the Lord, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1 of Second Peter. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, parentheses now, in both of which stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before, the holy, or before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Beloved, the ones who are loved. Here in this last chapter, he's going to use that word four times. In verses 1 and 2, beloved, be mindful. In verses 
Or verse 8, don't be ignorant. Be diligent in 14 and then beware in 17. Fascinating, right? Here's the first thing or the last thing, I guess, is a better way of saying it, that Peter wants you to know as he fades off the scene. But he really hasn't faded, has he? He wants you to know you're loved. Uh, One great theologian was asked at the end of his life, what do you wish you would have concentrated on more? What was the message you wanted to get through uh, that you think would help the body of Christ? And he said, uh, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. If people knew how much God loved them, we would be in a different place. There would be stability and strength and courage that we've never known to be loved by that one, the Creator, the Holy One, the great God, Yahweh, I am Him, to be loved by Him, and to love him, that's all of life. That's it, to be loved. Isn't it funny? It's be loved. <laughs> and we are. Peter wanted us to know to be loved. And he says, I write to you this second epistle. So he's had two letters. In both of which I stir up. Turn with me uh, to, uh, uh, you know, uh, back into the first one. <laughs> The first epistle. He wanted to stir up and to remind you. What are some of the things that he wanted to remind you of? Well, one thing is, is that newborn babes, who you are, you're to be built up. Look at this. In the pure milk of the word, chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 Peter. He wanted to remind you of that. They knew this. Guess what, folks? You know this. Uh, I've probably said it here in the last five years, probably every Sunday in the last five years. There are experiences in the Christian life. Should we experience the love of God and be, feel that and know that? Yes. Do we want miracles to happen and to be healed? Oh, of course. But the thing that's going to grow you in your Christian faith, listen to this, is not a situation that gets better, but knowing God through his word. That's where you're going to find health and safety and growth and everything else that you need for life and godliness is through the word of God. It's through the word of God. And Peter, this is the second time now, Peter has told us this. It's the second time in these epistles where he says something like this. I'm going to remind you of the things that you already know. Part of being a great teacher or a great pastor is to explain to you the things from the Bible that are already there. Not to take what you believe and then explain the Bible according to you believe, but to take the Bible and to explain it to the people. Whether it's in an adult Sunday school, in a kid's Sunday school, whether it's back here, whatever. Whether it's parents, where is the best in first place it should happen. But also from the pulpit. And then all of those functions, all of those people, the Sunday school teacher, the parent, guess what you should do? Guess what I should be doing up here? Reminding you, putting you in remembrance of the things that you already know. 
you know, when somebody comes uh, to my office uh, for counseling, <laughs> I, I kind of giggle to myself, uh, not because of the people problem or anything like that, because I'm simply a one-string guitar. I really am. And the one-string guitar is what's in the Word. I just want to take people to the Word where they can get healthy and whole and hopeful. There's where hope lies. It's in Jesus Christ through his word. And so reminding them, and here he reminds you, and he is stirring up the pure minds. Uh, That word can mean sincere, uncontaminated by any heresy. You catching that? Why? Because he was concerned that these heresies, these false doctrines, were coming into the church. And he wanted to keep reminding people of sound doctrine. Get it? And so as he leaves, he's saying, you're loved, and remember, I'm writing this second epistle to give you a sincere, by the way, the phrase means in the light of a sun, it applies to a potter, that word pure minds, it applies to a potter, and what the potters used to do is when they would take some clay, they would take it out and hold it up to the sun and see if there were any impurities in it, and if there were impurities in it, they'd go back and work on it more. That's the word he's using here. And he wants to get out all the impurities so that you can uh, be a beautiful vessel uh, for the Lord, right? So he does. Beloved, I write to you this second epistle so that I could stir up. I could stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. By way of reminder. Actually, Paul says in Philippians 3.1, kind of the same idea, by the way, I'm paraphrasing now, but he says the safest place to be, you can look it up, Philippians 3.1, a safe place to be in the grace of God is to remember or to find out the things that you already know. So know them and then re-know them. You know how you can tell if you're not in sync with that? Well, the pastor can announce something like, uh, well, you know, we're going to go through the book of, I don't know, I'm picking something, John. You ever heard somebody say, oh. I just went through John last year. I can't believe he's going through that again. Really? Well, that's not what the apostles said. The apostles said we, all of us, including myself, we all needed to be reminded of the things that were in Scripture and to keep going over them. So that's one thing. As he leaves, he's saying, stay away from heresy by reminding yourself of the pure milk of the word, the pure milk of the word, And remind yourself, when you get up in the morning, folks, preach it to yourself. Find from the Lord the same things you've been saying and find it from the Lord. And not in a power of positive thinking way, but in a loving the Lord way. Oh, Lord, you told me that you would never leave me nor forsake me. I am going to believe that today. Help me to trust that today. Lord, all these promises, you tell me I've been adopted into a family, and yet I feel so lonely. Lord, help me to believe and receive what you have. That's what we do in the mornings before we go out into the world. Why? Verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. We've visited this already once. Look in chapter 1 of this epistle, verse, seven, or verse 19. We've already visited this. Peter has, isn't this fascinating? He's telling them something again. 
from the own letter, they're, they're the same letter, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. In other words, by the way, you catch this, he knew that the words that they were writing, I don't know how, but he knew that he was inspired by the word of God, and so was Paul. You see that? He knew these words were inspired as he was writing. He knew it. They're on par with the prophetic word that came true. And then look in 19. We have the prophetic word confirmed. This is so beautiful. Which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star, who's that? Jesus Christ, last book of the Bible. And the morning star rises in your hearts. That's what the gospel was sent to do, and that's what prophecy predicted, folks. We just went through Isaiah. There is this theme that runs all throughout Isaiah about a new day dawning. That doesn't come from Batman. That comes from the Bible. Oh, you don't get the Batman reference. Okay, all right, well, anyway. Okay, that comes from the Bible, and it comes from Isaiah that there's a new day dawning. It's darkest before the storm. Now are you... you Tracking with me, some of you folks? Harvey Dent? Okay, never mind. But anyway, uh, that's what he's saying. So we have the prophetic word, which you'll do well to heed, till a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It doesn't come from men. It comes from the Lord. You can trust. They're trying, by the Holy Spirit, you can trust what's written here. You can trust it so much, you can trust it with your future. You can trust him with your future. Know this first. You catch that? He's leaving off the scene, and he says, Beloved, he gives you this. He tells you that uh, what, uh, uh, these words which were spoken before the holy prophet, uh, by the holy prophets, and now the ones that we're writing, we know this first, and we want to tell you this first as we're leaving. Know this first. Oh, my. Is this for today or what? It's almost too hard to believe that this was written in the Bible because this is today. It says this. Know this first, uh, Peter says, uh, that scoffers, it also means mockers, people who make fun of you. They're going to scoff and mock. Oh, really? You believe that? I mean, they'll say stuff like, how dumb could you be? Uh, you're an idiot for believing that. I mean, I, I'm, right? Those are fairy tales, folks. You put your whole life in trust in that. What? You ever heard any of that? Well, here, listen to this. They know, he wrote that scoffers were going to come in the last days. You say, well, wait a minute. Last days, what's that all about? Well, last days can mean, in Acts 2, the period of time between the day that Jesus ascended into heaven until the rapture. Uh, in Acts 2, the last days are called that, the church age. You, did you know that? Of course, we're coming closer to the rapture, so it's really becoming the last days. But... How about this? In those days, in those times, in the church age, there's going to be people who scoff and mock. Listen to what they do. They walk according to their own lusts. Now listen to this. I'm going to tell you something. That can be outside the church or inside the church. Let that sink in. 
People can walk according to the flesh. Of course they walk according to the flesh if they're not born again, but we can walk according to the flesh. And when we start to say things like, really, Lord, you haven't done it for this long. I prayed last week and you haven't answered me yet. Guess what's happening to you and guess what's happening to me? We're not walking according to the spirit, but we're walking according to the flesh. Is it okay to voice uh, uh, you know, that back and forth in a respectful way to the Lord. Of course, he's big enough to handle that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that blaming that we do that indicates that we're not trusting. We're walking according to the flesh. And, and there is scripture that says, help my unbelief, of course. Help. Sometimes, Lord, I'm just so unfaithful, and I need to believe more, and I recognize that. But please, just help my unbelief. Of course, that's normal. We do that. Yes, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the scoffing and the mocking that sometimes even comes in through the church. But of course, it's going to come outside the church, and they're going to say things like this. Come on. You're going to the Revelation study on Wednesday night. You believe that? Are you serious? Where's the promise of his coming? It's been 2,000 years, they say. You're, you're believing in something that happened 2,000 years and a person that was here 2,000 years, you're believing in that. You're basing your whole life. You're actually telling me that you're praying for a promotion, that God cares about some promotion from some guy who claims he rose again in Israel and said he would come back and he hasn't come back and he's not coming back, they say. But what's that? That's scoffing. That's mocking. Where's the promise of his coming? For th since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as there were from the beginning of creation. The scoffers and the mockers say this, right? Hold, this world is stable and solid. You believe in a Noah's Ark? Are you kidding me? Those are cute little things you do in Sunday school, and that's all. You believe in a Noah's Ark? No, don't believe in that, they say. Believe in a stable world that's going to be here forever. You hear it on TV all the time. People say, that record is going to stand forever. I mean, it doesn't enter people's minds that this world was wrecked by a flood and is going to be wrecked again by a fire. It is. But that's not what they say. They say, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers, all things, hey, things are continuing. I know we have a little rust on the car or, you know, we have some pollution and this COVID thing's messing with us. But, you know, next year will be fine and we're going to be okay. Right? Do most people say that? Go out on social media and listen to people talk about this year's canceled vacation. That's okay. We'll make up for it next year. Hmm. Maybe. What I'm saying is, people keep saying that this world's stable and it's never going to come to an end. For this, they willfully, catch it, why would they willfully forget scoffers and mockers? Because most people, especially, well, people who are outside of Christ, they don't want to be convicted, folks. They don't want to walk according to some spiritual thing. They think it's a crutch. They think it's a hang-up. They don't want to walk, they want to live their life as they want to live it. That's what it says here. They willfully disregard those things so they can continue to walk according to their carnal nature, their lustful nature. You see that? So when you come up against somebody who's a critic, and you are, or you will, you should know it. 
In fact, the more Christians are persecuted, around here especially, the more you should say to yourself, wow, the prophetic word is coming true. Are you catching that? The more there is scoffing, the more there is mocking, the more you can look at this and go, wow, God was right, just like he always is. So here he comes, he says, he walks according to the lust, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers, it's the beginning of the creation. For they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth stounding out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, speaking, of course, of the flood, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now listen, if you weren't with us on Wednesday, as we speak of this prophetic calendar and all these things that are going to wind up here at the end of uh, time, here's one thing that you should grab hold of and pray about and think about. I've heard several people say this topic or these topics scare me. Well, let me just tell you, for the Christian, it shouldn't scare us. And that's okay. I, I'm bare, you know, it's okay. I understand people uh, feeling. But if you are feeling that way, we want to help you get to the place where you're not scared. Why? Because, you see, folks, you're going to be in heaven during this time. You're going to be in heaven during this time when fire comes and there's this day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And I'm speaking of the rapture of the rapture. And if you were with us on Wednesday, this church and the leadership here believes in a pre-trib rapture. I know there's other views. I love the people who have other views, uh, but we're convicted that way, right? So the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, by the way, in Colossians, remember this? Do you remember this? All things are held together by the Lord Jesus Christ, all things, which is fascinating because when they get to the uh, you know, the, 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 the center of what makes us atoms. You know, they know all the little pieces. I don't know all the little pieces. I hate science. But uh, they, they know all the little pieces. And they got them named and the electrical charges and all that stuff. And then they get right to the core of an atom. And it's something that they can't figure out. It's called atomic glue. They know it's being held together, but they don't know why or how, even to this day. But see, the Bible gave us even that. Jesus is holding everything together. And at some point, folks, he's going to let go. It's preserved now by the same word. Jesus is the word. He's holding everything together. But there is reserved for fire this day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You say, wait a minute. You are scaring me. It's scary. Oh, then you haven't read 8 and 9. And other scriptures, but look, 8 and 9. Why would it be, listen to this, that people outside the church would mock and scoff and then catch this? This is what I really want you to see, because I believe most people in here are believers, surrender their life to Christ. Some may not have, and if you haven't, today's the day of salvation. But listen, if you're inside the church and you're scoffing and mocking, and let's not pretend and kid ourselves, people do it. Look what it's a matter of. It's a matter of you don't know the character of God. <laughs> I'm not saying it. Peter's saying it. Here's what he's saying. He says, but beloved, there it is again, beloved, you loved people. Don't forget this one thing. Don't forget it. 
If you leave today, don't forget this. Write it out. Remember it. Isn't he big on remembering? Don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is is one day. He actually takes this from Psalm 90, verse 4. You can look it up after. A thousand years is one day, and the Lord is not, that's interesting, Peter knew the Old Testament, folks. He loved the Old Testament. He studied the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament. He used the Old Testament just like we're to do. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What promise? Turn with me to John 14. You all could probably quote this, but I just want you to see it. Jesus made promises when he was on this earth. And he said this, folks who are nervous are scared about this topic. (laughs) Could it be any more plain? Even I can figure this one out. Verse 1, John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. (laughs) Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God, he says? You believe in God, right? He says it probably nicer than I would say it, but you believe in God? So believe also in me, Jesus said. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. You see how tender this is? I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you know that he gave a promise. There's other promises. You you can read it all through his Gospels, but he gave a promise. And the promise was, I'm going away now, death, resurrection, ascension, but I'm coming again. And you're going to be happy about it, in other words. (laughs) You're going to be so happy about it. And here, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's promised it. You know the great thing about God? He not only makes promises. Well, yeah, he not only makes promises. He has the ability to keep the promise. And he's committed to making sure the promise comes about, which means the promise is happening. You know, like if I said to you, uh, hey, uh, Mike, I'm going to, you know, next week, I know you've always wanted to, you know, Alfa Romeo. You've always wanted an Alfa Romeo. And you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get you that 1948 Alfa Romeo. See, I've made the promise, and that's good, but I got news for Mike. I have no ability to make that happen for Mike. I have no ability for it. I don't have the money. I don't have the resource. I don't even know where I would go to buy something like that. And maybe or maybe not, I'm committed to it. He's committed to it. But maybe or maybe not, after I leave here and spout off about it, maybe I become less and less committed to it. That's not God. God's committed to it. It will come to pass, and he has the resource. So he says that he's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But he's long-suffering towards us. Do you know that? We talked about this on um, uh, Wednesday night. You know, the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ isn't so we can get charts and maps. Oh, it's good to do that. Study. Do do your studying. Get your position. I'm all for that. 
the heart of Revelation is not the charts and the maps and all of the things that we, you know, the different views and your view stinks because mine's better and my view's better and you know how people do all that stuff? Okay, I understand the debate. Trust me, I do. But the heart of the book of Revelation is that we'll hold Jesus dear and near or that he holds us dear and near and we can trust his promises, okay? And why am I telling you that? Because people are scoffing and mocking (laughs) and they're the very people that Jesus wants to redeem back to the Father. And the Father's heart and character Unlike my own, as I look out on social media or on the news and I see some of the things that some of the people doing, you know what I want to do? Mm, I want to just see somebody take them out. That's what I want to do. And I see here the one, the one who could take them out, who's committed to the promise of coming back. And when he comes back again a second time, it won't be uh, for the way people have, are, are used to. It's going to be in judgment. Listen, he holds back because he's so long-suffering. He's not slack concerning his promise of coming back. It's not that. It's his long-suffering. It's his character. He wants more to come into the family of God before he comes back. He wants more to be saved. He wants more people to uh, fellowship in a a church and uh, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit and go out and tell more people before he comes back. And he keeps doing it, and he keeps doing it. He keeps with, you know, uh, suffering long towards us, uh, humankind, and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the character of God. We get down in the weeds in the book of Revelation and we forget this. His heart is that no one should perish. Look how Timothy puts it in 1 Timothy 2.4. Look how Timothy puts it. Go over to 1 Timothy 2.4 just so you'll know this. Starting in verse 3, let me read that. For this is good and acceptable. What's good and acceptable? If you look above, it's to pray for all men, give intercession, even for kings, and who are all in authority. You think you can't uh, pray for this political party? Read this. You think you can't pray for that political party? Read this. Thanks be made for all men, and that they, we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godly and reverence, reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who desires that all men would be saved. It's in there, folks. The heart of God is that all men to be saved. Uh, do you think uh, I should share the gospel with them? Do you think it's the will of God for me to share the gospel with them? I got news for you. The answer is yes. <laughs> Share the love of Christ. Share God's love. Keep praying for them. Because he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So, turning back. But I I want to take you here too. Go to Ezekiel. I want you to just see it with your own eyes. I could say the scripture, but I want you to see it in your own eyes. This is in the Old Testament. You say, well, that's the God of the New Testament. Really? What about the God of the Old Testament? Well, in Ezekiel 18, verse 
verse 23. What I'm trying to do is show you the character of God, the nature of God. This is what God's been like from the beginning. He's never not been this way. He says this in 23. It's a rhetorical question. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? The answer is the obvious answer. No, he does not. Do I have any pleasure at all that the uh, 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 wicked should die? No, no, says the Lord God. And not that he should turn from his ways and live. That's the nature of God, folks. Sometimes when I'm talking to Christians, I don't think they know that nature. I don't think they know that nature. It's God's heart that all men would come to a saving knowledge of him. And he's suffering long or waiting. According to us, he's waiting. But listen, to us it's been, you know, 2,200 years or whatever. 2,020 years, right, or whatever. It's been that long. To him it's been like two days. It's nothing to him. He's not waiting because of a time or things like that. He's waiting because of his nature, his nature is good, and he doesn't want anyone to perish. But, verse 10, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, it's a period of time. It's used five times in the New Testament, 27 times in the Old Testament. We believe that this day of the Lord begins with the rapture when we're caught up in the clouds uh, with our Lord, and it continues on through the ages, the day of the Lord, as judgment comes in the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, his second coming, where he comes back to rule and reign on earth with you, the saints. And then he sets up a millennial kingdom, a 1,000-year reign. He's going to reign from out of Jerusalem. You're going to be participating somehow, some way, in his government, so to speak. And then at, at the end of that time, guess what's going to happen? You can read it. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And so this thing's going to be wrapped up like a scroll, or this thing's going to be burned up in fire. But guess what? At the end of the millennial reign, uh, when we have the new heavens and the new earth, lest you be scared about that, I want you to turn to Revelation 21. You love to quote this. So do I. Starts in verse 1, Revelation 21. Because after this earth melts away, after the thousand-year reign, and a lot of things happen in between there. We're going to go through all of that. But after this earth melts away, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and that's really heaven. That's where you are with the Lord forever when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. You know it. Look, and this is what it says. Now, John says, the revelator says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, heaven and the first earth had passed away. And, right? And there was no more sea. Why is there no more sea? Some of you are sad because you love the sea, but no more division. There's no more division. Also, there was no more. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven said, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be with his people. Who? What's the tabernacle of God? Who's the tabernacle of God? He tells you, God himself will tabernacle with you. And uh, he, he will be their God. And God, look, this is the part. Aren't you all waiting for this? And God will wipe away every tear from your eye. 
the, the things you're sorrowing about, the things you're sorrowful about, the things that have caused you great grief and harm, wiped away. There will be no more sorrow. You will be joyful. There'll be no sorrow, no crying. There'll be no more pain. That You ever experienced pain, you know, physically that was so rough? But, 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 but even worse than that is that emotional and spiritual pain. You ever had that? It's going to be wiped away. It's going to be wiped away for the former things have passed away. That's new heaven, new earth. Yeah, there you go. New, amen is right. So the, look, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away. Oh, I shouldn't have had you turn. Uh, when we were studying Revelation the other night, we got to Revelation 1, and it's right at the beginning. It says this, verse 1, chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. Shortly. That doesn't, you know, so John is on the island of Patmos around 96 AD. He's writing the book of, uh, uh, of, of Revelation. And some, most people, when they read that, think, well, why didn't the Lord do all these things in 100 AD? Because it says shortly right here. That's not what the word means. You just don't get it in the Greek. You and I aren't Greek scholars, so we don't know. What that word means is when the day of the Lord comes, everything's going to happen quickly. So now that we go back, the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. That's the whole period from rapture to new heavens and new earth. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And speaking of judgment there, and we know uh, that there is a, a great white throne judgment for non-believers and there's a bema seat judgment for believers. We've talked about that here several times. 2 Corinthians 5, Bema Seat Judgment. You can also find it, find it in Romans. Great white throne judgment, which I don't want any of you to be at, or myself. I don't want any of us in here to be at. You're going to be judged by your own works, and the Bible says that your works fall short of the glory of God. So don't be there. If you don't know that you're going to heaven, you need to come up and talk with us, please, afterwards. But... The day of the Lord comes as that thief in the night, the leaven. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved. You see, here's what Peter says. Okay, you have a theology of the end times. Wonderful. And maybe you have something a little bit different. Wonder, well, whatever. You, okay, great, right? If the end time theology doesn't change your life, you're getting not what you're supposed to get from it. Your life should be changed by the grace of God, by the things that are going to happen in the future. You know why? Because you're basing it all on God's character. He's told you these things. Do you really believe them? And if you really believe them, you'll live in light of the realities of them. You should be, right? People, persons who are devoted to holy conduct and godliness. Holy conduct and godliness. You and I should be people who should be devo devoted to holy conduct and godliness. My favorite book of the Bible, you should love it too. Leviticus 19 says that his people, Israel, were to be holy just as he is holy. Remember that? 
Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, they said, hey, 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 Jesus, like how good do I have to be to get into heaven? Oh, no problem. You have to be perfect. That's what he says in Matthew 5.48. You have to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. The problem is we can't. He sends us to a Savior, but look, because we're new creations, not slaves of sin anymore, but slaves of righteousness, we want to do those things that please the Father. We want to become more like Christ. That means stuff like this. You know, uh, the Bible says, well, I've taught you that you're not to have premarital sex. Sex is great just inside the marriage. And then here's what we do. Ah, Come on. Did he really say that? Or here's another thing we say. I I know he said that, but, but we'll just ask for forgiveness. His blood paid for all our sins. Uh Uh-uh. You don't understand the gospel then if you're saying that. You do not understand the gospel. Because Paul said that sheer idiocy. You would never trample on the blood of Christ like that. You would never willingly do that. Oh, do we make mistakes? Of course we make mistakes and they're paid for. But we desire to please the Father. And he says certain things to us and we want to do them. And so we participate and we grow in holy conduct and godliness. What does godliness mean? This is beautiful. It's a word that means to worship well. (laughs) Write that one down. To worship well. It's a life devoted to pleasing God. A life devoted to pleasing God. See, that's why we know our purpose. I, I, I think we should teach a class here and put it all across the airwaves. What is our purpose in life? We know it, folks. You all know it. We all know it. We're stable now. We're anchored We don't have to be swayed by the world because we have a purpose, and that purpose is to live a godly, devoted, worship well, pleasing, and reverent life. And oh, by the way, I think we've lost reverence in the church. We act like Jesus is our homie. He's not. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's the King of kings. And he says... Now that you know the plan that's unfolding in the future, live with holy conduct, and you should look. That's actively looking so that you will hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. Is this so astounding? I can't even hardly believe it type of stuff. I don't know how or why. I kind of know how or why, I'll tell you. But this is amazing to me. He says that his people hastening hasten his coming in some ways. means make it come about. Wait a minute. Didn't he say he didn't even know the day? Yeah, he doesn't know the day yet. We don't know the day. How do we hasten? Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, pray, or people pray that Lord's, uh, or that his day would come. What else do we do? Well, you know that the long suffering of the Lord holds back his judgment, right? And we know, some, many Christians believe, Romans 11, I think it's verse 25, that there's this fullness of the Gentiles idea, that Jesus isn't coming until the fullness of the Gentiles. What's the fullness of the Gentiles? The fullness of the Gentiles is when the last person who needs to get saved does get saved, he's coming back for his church. Which means, what should we be doing? Why do I pray it all the time? We should be out 
Listen, sharing the love of Christ with everybody we can share the love of Christ with. Isn't that amazing? We know these things. He set them forth in his word because we hasten that coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise... What's his promise? Well, his promise is in Revelation 21. I read it to you. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. According to his promise, what are we to be doing? We're to look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In fact, our looking should be an active participation, hope, trust, base our life off of. In fact, in 1 John 3, it says that those who look for the glorious coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, look at this, purify themselves. Purify themselves. There's something pure, purifying about living a life. Right? Titus 2, 13 calls this the blessed hope. The blessed hope. The happy hope. See, but... 2 Timothy 4.8 even tells us, look, I want you to see this, not tolerate these doctrines. Write this down. I won't take you there. 2 Timothy 4.8, write this down. He's not saying tolerate these doctrines. He actually says there, you're to love it, the return of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's happy and blessed because you are going to be with him. There's going to be a new earth in which righteousness now, therefore, beloved, looking. He just said look or looking three times in about two sentences. Keep looking. It's an active word that means always, forever, until he comes back. Keep looking. Be warned. Folks, in here, don't be caught asleep in your Christianity. Don't be caught asleep. For those who are outside the faith, come into the faith quickly. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Therefore, look forward to these things. Look forward to these things and be diligent to be found by him in peace. You know this. I say it every week. For those who come into the family of God, you now have peace with God by the blood of Christ. Philippians tells us that we can have this supernatural peace of God. But I I don't think I said this last time, and boy, did I kick myself. Where do we find our peace? Pastor, write it down for me. Write down the seven keys to peace. Please, write down the seven keys to peace. What are the keys to peace? Here's the, here's the key to peace. Ephesians 2.14. Jesus Christ is our peace. It's not a program. It's a person. So we're going to be found him by him in peace because we're in him, you see. And without spot and blameless well, this has got two tracks. One track is you get the righteousness of Christ. Don't, don't get bored about this time. I'm almost done. I'll be done by five after. That's like 10 minutes early. We're going to have enough time for the last song for the first time in three months. But don't get bored about this because there's these two tracks that he's talking about here. In one hand, you get the righteousness of Christ. So positionally, you are without spot and you are blameless, right? Because we know that uh, what Jesus is doing is he wants to present us faultless before the throne, right? We know that from other uh, scriptures. But practically, we still want to be without spot and blameless, to have nobody be able to uh, 
testify against us about blame. Of course, people can blame us, but they have no evidence. That what's that, that's what that word means. Live a pure life. Don't get mixed up in drama. Live a peaceable life, a simple life, with the goal and the purpose of sharing God's love. Who cares if your kid's the prom king or the prom queen? Who cares? Of course, if they are, like Tim Tebow, he pulls it off pretty great. But if they're not, that's not what I'm training up kids for. Don't live your life through your kids. Live your life for Jesus, and your kids will come along. And so you consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And this is a pretty funny part right here. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Remember, that's his character. Salvation is at stake. That's why he's staying or, or holding off. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. He shared these same things. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. He talked about these things. Paul did. In which are some things hard to understand. Of course they are. That's why you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you and guide you and, and read and study. Which untaught and unstable people, we're talking now about those false prophets, and also it can be people who aren't trained in the Bible, but you'll learn, will grow. They twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. In other words, don't twist the scriptures to make them to what you want them to say. Take them as they are. 17, you therefore, beloved, it's amazing, you're loved. Since you know this beforehand, beware. In other words, wake up, just like I said earlier. Wake up. Don't get overconfident. 1 Corinthians 10 said, take heed lest we fall. Don't be overconfident. Don't just be riding out the end of this. Pour it out. Run till you can't run anymore. In Jesus Pour it out as also in all his epistles, or excuse me, as they also, the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this, verse 17, beforehand, beware, be on guard, constantly be on guard. That's what it means. Lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, 1 Corinthians 10, I just said that. Uh, being led away with the error of the wicked. Know your doctrine so you don't get led away. And then this beautiful part. We'll stop here, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's my prayer for you, and I want your prayer to be for me? All of our prayers for each other to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does it mean to grow in grace, by the way? Listen, I say it all the time. You come into the family of God by grace, God's unmerited favor. He did it all so you can come into the family of God. Remember that? That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But I jot it down because I do it all the time. Several other places where you need God's grace for living Christian life. Write them down real quick. Go back to them. Romans 1, 5. In order to be obedient to the Lord, you need God's grace. Incredible, right? Romans 5, 2. If you want to stand, be solid, stable. 5, 2. You stand by the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 15. You want to even be thankful. You need God's grace even to be thankful. 2 Timothy 2.1, to be strong. Don't be strong in your own strength. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And 2 Timothy 2.1 says you need grace to be strong. Who here needs to be, feels weak a lot? Yeah, I do. In our weakness, we are strong. That's it because of his grace. Uh, 
Titus 2, he teaches, uh, 11 and 12, he teaches us to live godly, in godliness and to de- deny our lusts by God's grace. Live according to grace. Hebrews 12, 28, to serve God. Hebrews 13, 9, your hearts will be established by grace. Grace is for all time, all day long, every day. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I say it every week. Don't just know about Jesus. Folks, young people, don't just know about Jesus. Know Jesus himself. Walk with him and talk with him. Let him tell you he is, or you are his own. Linger there. Be there every morning with the Lord. Get to a place where you know him in such a way And then all of us in high praise will be able to say, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I hope you know this, folks. We have purpose. If you ever start feeling, it's okay if you do, not knocking you. If you ever, come on up, uh, singers. If you ever start feeling like you or don't know what your purpose is, oh, please, run up here. We'll get the Bible out and we'll show you again. So beautiful to know your purpose. Peter wanted you to know this. He wanted you to stay away from false teachers so that you could continue on with right living and godly living and reverent living so that as God the Father withholds his judgment in long suffering, that you, look at this little peewee little church, If we just went out and shared with four people, three people, two people, ten people this week. Each. Look at the numbers. So let's be about the business of the Lord based on 2 Peter and all that he shares in his gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts through this book. Lord, as we sing this last song, may it be way more than a song, but it would be a worship, worshipful experience as we express praise and glory and honor to you. Thank you for this day and always. In Jesus' name.